Welcome to Cincy Reformed. I'm Pastor Brandon, joined with Pastor Zach. We're pastors at Westside Reformed Church. It's a URC congregation in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Today we want to talk about creeds, but we want to talk about the, the authority of a creed. Uh, you know, as, as the church uh, wrote creeds, do they have authority? What kind of authority do they have? Um, how does that impact a local church? We wanted to flesh these things out. Uh, but before we kind of flesh out some of the early church creeds, I think it's just helpful to note that the Bible itself shows that creeds were being developed. Like there are creedal developments within within the Bible. I think it's helpful because we live in a day where a lot of people people will say, you know, no creed but the Bible or no creed but Christ and they want to shun all creeds. But it's interesting to note that even even back in the early church, even back in as the Bible is being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, they include some of the early creedal statements that the early church was developing, and these creedal statements are true, and they were obviously uh, brought here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'll go ahead and read from uh, one of those statements. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. And here is where we start to get this creedal statement. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, last as one untimely born. He also uh, appeared to me. So we see this according to the scriptures and walking through the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Christ. And you could see that was one of the, one of the helpful summaries uh, that the early church was was propagating. Uh, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 13, where he says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. So we are to be a people who hold fast pattern of sound words. And these creedal statements are examples of sound words that we're, we're, holding, we're holding fast to. Uh, and that's what all creeds, all faithful creeds, are uh, patterns of, of sound words. But Zach, are there any others? Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say that when we think about this, just to make sure reiterate what Brandon was just saying, that that creed was circulating, that pattern of sound words was circulating outside of Scripture, and then Paul brings that into the canon of Scripture to say, this pattern you must confess. This is necessary. This is, this is um, apostolic truth, and you need to hold to this. And this is the same kind of thing that he does in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, where he's talking about the importance of the church being a foundation of truth, a place that establishes and propagates truth. And he says this, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
And just like with that um, creed that's found in 1 Corinthians 15, you have the same thing here where there's this movement of incarnation, of then resurrection and appearance. Uh, then there's the uh, proclamation to the surrounding world and his ascension up into glory. So that kind of a, a movement of the historical uh, life, uh, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, something that we find later on within the uh, Apostles' Creed. So again, these creedal statements that were circulating, they kind of function, I think, as like a litmus test, you could say, mm -hmm. for the church to summarize for themselves. This is the heart of what we believe. And then that, that litmus test helped to make sure they're on the same page. It helped them to then um, reject the false prophet that would come to them and bring to them a different message. You might think here about like a First John and how John gave them certain words and phrases by which they could then analyze uh, a preacher that came into their midst, a prophet that came into their midst to make sure that they were a, a true messenger of God yeah. rather than a messenger of Antichrist. And so these kinds of uh, creedal statements that are, are circulating and then helping the church, uh, this pattern of sound words, to then, uh, to then go forward. And these aren't the only uh, two examples in the Bible. I mean, there's um, Philippians chapter 2. Mm -hmm. um, are there any, any other I, I'd be thinking Colossians of, one? and I would just say that this is really uh, consistent with the Old Testament uh, approach too, of like the Shema, yeah. of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this function is like a creedal statement for Israel, and as it goes onward too, uh, to help them to, uh, to guide them into the heart of their religion and to reject the false prophets and to reject things that, uh, that don't fit with that pattern of sound words. I, I would also think about, I think that the Gospels themselves provide us with a very important um, uh, uh, it, uh, example and then impulse to confess the faith. When you think about the, the key turning points of the synoptic gospels where there's that turning point of peter confessing you are the christ the son of the living god and then there's that uh, that key climactic uh, moment at the cross where then the centurion looks upon jesus and then confesses his faith that truly this was the christ the son of god and that that kind of um uh, impulse then is not merely descriptive for us of what happened, mm -hmm. but it gives us then the, the, the pressure to then to do the same thing, uh, not to just merely regurgitate the words of scripture, but then to take it upon our own lips and to confess it from our own lips and our own hearts as to what we believe the Bible then teaches us. So mm -hmm. I would say those are some key things as well. I think that's helpful. And I mean, especially in, in, in a climate like today where you do have many who will say things like no, no creed with the Bible or something like that, the church confesses, mm -hmm. right? And every church confesses. Every church has a, a confession, as it were. And so it's not, there, there's really no such thing as like a non-confessional church. That's right. Uh, every, every church has a confession of faith. The only question is, is it written down, like well thought out, written down, made public for everybody, or is it something that you don't write down and it's kind of hidden, it's aloof, you really don't know what it is, maybe it changes behind the scenes, you have no idea. Um, how, is it, how is it functioning? But we all have uh, creeds and confessions 
that we use because as soon as you ask somebody, well, who do you think Jesus was and what do you think Jesus did, they unpack their confession of faith or their creed. And um, that's, for, for them at least, that's a litmus test when they, when they speak with, with someone else. Um, does the other person believe the same thing I do? So, but what a creed and confession does is it allows us to say as a church body or as a denomination, say this is what we confess to be to be true this is this is what we confess about christ what we think is a good summary of what the bible teaches and we're going to walk together in these truths um and we're going to agree in these matters because we believe this is faithful faithful to the text and i think that when we were talking here about creeds it's, it's good just to clarify the way that we're using this term when we say when we say creed we're typically referring to a, a very brief statement that is has some sort of ecumenical agreement to it. So we, uh, within our context, affirm uh, three great ecumenical creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Uh, but then we also have, it within our context, confessions. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the confessions called the Belgic Confession, and then you could look at the Canons of Dort as another confession that kind of defends we have a catechism as well, the Heidelberg Catechism. It takes our confession and then it applies by way of question and answer those kinds of things and truths, especially to children, but also to adults as well. So just think about a, a creed as being some ecumenical thing, a little bit a briefer statements, the kind of thing where if you disagree with the creed, then you really find yourself to be outside the, um, the channels of the uh, historic uh, Christian church. And so maybe we can talk about those three uh, particular creeds yeah, right now, yeah, just sure. briefly what they are all about. Do you want to kick yeah, us off here? Sure. Uh, probably the most well-known one is the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, they think, likely began probably as like a baptismal formula. That was something that would have been said or maybe uh, question answer. Maybe the person getting baptized would proclaim it. But it probably started in the second century in the context of doing baptisms and it developed throughout throughout the years the final form that we have um, currently of the Apostles Creed uh, was solidified around the seventh century so Zach how about you how about you unpack for us maybe the uh, the Nicene Creed yeah sure uh, the Nicene Creed kind of follows the same baptismal pattern as the Apostles Creed you know building off of the triune name Father Son and Holy Spirit from Matthew 28 and then the Nicene Creed moves in that same order like the Apostles' Creed does. It kind of fleshes things out a little bit more, especially in terms of the uh, person of the Holy Spirit and his work. Uh, it arose from not merely the Council of Nicaea in 325, but also was brought to um, uh, a greater uh, sense of um, finality in 381 at the Council of Constantinople, but then in, I think it was 589, the Western Church felt the need then to add to it the, um, the statements and the Son, that the Holy Spirit proceeds not merely from the Father, but from the Father and the Son. And so from that point onward, the uh, Nicene Creed uh, took on its final rendition, its final form uh, within the Western Church. So how about the Athanasian Creed, Brandon? Yeah, the Athanasian Creed um, was being circulated in southern France and uh, began to spread. It uh, became actually 
one of one of the big three, and the Athanasian Creed is really focusing on the Trinity and unpacking uh, the Trinity: one God, three persons, and uh, it really unpacks that well. It's it goes through it in a pretty dense way, I would say, really making sure that we understand that that there are not three lords, there is only one lord. There is not three uncreated, there is only one uncreated. And then the second half of, um, of the creed unpacks the incarnation uh, and the persons of, of Christ and even um, reiterates some of the things that we see in the, in the um, Apostles' Creed or about he descended into hell and, and so on. It's also, I think, helpful to note that these creeds are, are charting a course of orthodoxy amiss a lot of heresies and heterodoxies that were attacking the church. So, you know, as you begin to study ancient heresies like Eutychianism, Nestorianism, Modalism, Arianism, and as you, as you study some of these ancient heresies, you can, and then you, then you go and read the creeds, you can see how the creeds are actually pushing back on, on all of those ancient heresies, making sure that we don't go in any of those heretical directions, but the creeds are making sure that we have a pattern of sound words to express orthodoxy. And I also like what you mentioned, that um, when we, we're talking about creeds, if you disagree with the creed, you're putting yourself outside of the historic Christian church. If you disagree with a confession, for example, like the Belgian Confession, right. you're putting yourself outside the Reformed Church, but you still might be a faithful Lutheran or Methodist or something like that. Um, so that's kind of the, the big three, the big three ecumenical creeds. Um, Zach, maybe talk about um, their authority. Are they on par with the Bible? Are, do, we, do we elevate creeds with the Bible? How do we understand that? Right, well, we certainly do not put them on the same level as the Bible. The Holy Scripture is the ultimate authority, and because it is God's holy and inspired word. And we believe that creeds are derivative of the teaching of Holy Scripture. It's a way of summarizing the clear message of Holy Scripture regarding the triune persons, as Brandon mentioned earlier, or the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That those things become like the clear inferential teaching that we derive from it. And so the creeds have a derivative authority to them. The scripture is sometimes phrased as the norming norm, and then the creeds become the normed norm. So they function in a secondary sense, a secondary authority, uh, never the ultimate authority. And this is why within the uh, Protestant Reformation, the term sola scriptura was used, not so low, Scriptura. scriptura. Uh, so low means just simply the Bible alone, only the Bible and nothing else. But so low scriptura means that we, we judge all things, including creeds, according to the Bible alone. So the Bible is alone, the ultimate authority. And then other things like creeds and confessions and church councils, they still have a good and proper place, but they all must be in line with Holy Scripture. There's never this view that we can have just merely the Bible all by itself, because if you do that, then your pastor is going to become a creed, confession, a catechism for your church. And as your pastor changes and weaves in and out, as you have your pastor with his strengths and weaknesses, well, then those kinds of things will inevitably uh, come to play within your church. You're always going to have a creed, a confession, a catechism. The question is whether it's written down. 
and that's it, really. But um, what else might you say on this? I mean, we, we, we speak about these uh, things within our church a lot. So what, how might you uh, help our listeners to think about the place of creeds and confessions in relation to Scripture and the life of the church? You know, I really like how Belgian Confession Article 9 speaks. So the Belgian Confession Article 9 is an article that's talking about the scriptural warrant for the Holy Trinity. And so it begins by just unpacking the Holy Trinity as we see it throughout the Bible, and it's interacting with Bible text after Bible text. And then at the end, it says, and, and so we agree with the ecumenical creeds, and, and it lists them, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. But it's interesting that that was included in the chapter speaking about the Bible's warrant for the Holy Trinity. And as, and as we walk through what the Bible confesses about the Holy Trinity and teaches about the Holy Trinity, we then say, well, we confess then with the ecumenical creeds, the Apostles, Nicene, Athanasian, and in, in the Church Fathers insofar as they agree with those three ecumenical creeds. Um, so I, it's just really helpful, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I agree in that. That movement is important and exactly illustrates what I was just saying, that you begin with the Bible, mm-hmm. and that is our ultimate authority, but we don't end with the Bible. Right. We also th- consider the way that our forefathers helped us with those creeds that were uh, devised, the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. So, Zach, how, would, how do they function practically, though? I mean, maybe somebody's here thinking, okay, this is, this is all interesting stuff about creeds and, 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 and whatnot, but how, how, does that, how would that even function in my life? How would that function in my church? I mean, what does that even mean? Yeah, well, I think that it, sometimes it can be used within a corporate worship service. And so we ordinarily use the Apostles' Creed within our worship service. However, there are certain services where then we will confess the Athanasian Creed mm-hmm. or the Nicene Creed, or we do those that we have some uh, midweek uh, prayer meetings that, where we get together. And uh, in those contexts, we oftentimes will read those and recite those uh, together. Mm-hmm. And so that might be one place where um, creeds can come to a real and vibrant use. So what else would you say? Uh, well, we have a catechism service at our church, and so um, uh, this year we've been in the Athanasian Creed, and just been teaching through it, spending time looking at the Holy Trinity in, in a deep and beautiful way that perhaps uh, other times of the year we, we've not been able to. So yeah, I think that I think it, it's been helpful to just kind of walk through and preach through in our catechism service a creed. Mm-hmm. I think that the nature also kind of abhors a vacuum, and so there are a lot of uh, strange ideas floating around there, depending mm-hmm. on what church you're in, about the nature of the Trinity mm-hmm. and the nature of the Incarnation. And so as uh, the, these creeds kind of fill that vacuum to make sure that we're not uh, getting off course from our uh, Christian forefathers who also received the Holy Spirit, who also uh, studied Holy Scripture, probably did so with a lot more insight and reflection than we do. Mm-hmm. So that'd be another place where I think that it comes to a, a real life in our, our church to make sure we don't imbibe some uh, heretical or heterodox uh, views and then begin to propagate those um, within our church context. Yeah, for sure. And also, um, you know, um, the Apostles' Creed has been turned to song before, mm-hmm. where people sing the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, people in their private studies have prayed through the Apostles' Creed. Um, so, I mean, it can function in yep. various ways. I, I teach through the uh, creeds when we have our uh, membership preparations to make sure that people who are coming to our church uh, understand the uh, fullness of what our church teaches on these things. 
And I think that's that's a very important too. It helps with our our self identity as well. Mm-hmm. I think that um, many places, uh, church can feel like we're just making it up as we go, and that uh, one rendition of our church might look very different from the next rendition mm-hmm. of our church and the next one. And the church kind of evolves to fit the culture or whatever the latest uh, fad that the pastor is going through might be. But these uh, creeds, I think, also help with our self understanding that we are rooted as historic uh, lowercase c Catholic Christians and that we are recipients of a tradition mm-hmm. and that that's a position and that posture of being recipients of a tradition I think helps to ground us and helps us to I think chart a course in the future as we think about how we might be the a, a faithful witness to the surrounding world well we're the most faithful witness as we uh mine and receive a tradition that predates us and then spread that to a world that is then uh, so need of that of that message i think um one other way that uh you know the apostles creed for example i i've seen used and i've, and I've seen used well is in is in a context of, of evangelism and in discipleship I mean, you're taking somebody who doesn't know anything about christianity and you're um, giving them here well here's the core of it and then sitting down with them and discipling them through the apostles creed i think is a very a very helpful start for for, for somebody entering the christian faith for the very first time that's really great and i think very uh, uh historic way of doing it isn't it yeah so we hope this has been helpful for you we hope that uh you might pick up one of these creeds even today why not uh, pick up the apostles creed the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, and have a read of them. Maybe include those as part of your uh, ordinary daily devotions, not merely to read scripture and to pray, but to read a creed and to make sure that you are uh, being guided by our church fathers and guided into the riches of scripture, which always testifies and always points us, whether old or new, to that one God who is uh, three persons. So I hope you are blessed in that way. Uh, check us out at uh, Westside Reformed Church if you want to see how this uh, comes out, comes to uh, fruition within the life of a church. Uh, check us out at westsidereformed.org or 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, thanks for joining us this week on the Since Reformed podcast. I'm here with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Zach. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Bye-bye.